Hi, this is Blaze Allison Kearsley, creator, producer, and host of the How I Learn series, which is a live storytelling, reading, comedy series that takes place every month in New York City, sometimes more than once a month, uh, if you're lucky. Um, And this is the podcast. So this story is by Rosie Schapp. It was recorded live at Happy Ending Lounge on the Lower East Side in March of 2012, and the theme was How I Learned to Make the Grade, Stories About Education. Rosie writes the drink column for the New York Times Magazine, and her memoir, Drinking with Men, is forthcoming from Riverhead. She's also had stories appear on uh, This American Life, and she's just an all-around amazing woman. And this is a fantastic story about uh, Rosie getting kicked out of eighth grade. Or did she? Enjoy. And God bless you, Blaze Kearsley. And I, I don't know what year you were in when you did Guys and Dolls, but I think for me it was eighth grade. I noticed middle school is getting a lot of play tonight, and that's because it is the worst time to be alive. Um, And my last, I went to a lot of schools growing up. That's a long story. My last memories of the school I hated most, climbing a ladder to touch up a backdrop for a play, losing my balance, toppling to the floor, another eighth grade girl running, responding to my screams, then looking annoyed and telling me to get up, someone calling my mother. When I was home, recuperating, the girl called to apologize. She was excruciatingly polite. I imagined her mother standing by her side, cueing her. I thanked her. I accepted her apology. It stunned me getting that call, because no one called me. I was the new kid, and I didn't belong there, not even among the other marginal types in the drama club, which tells you something. It was confusing and upsetting, this new business of being friendless. I'd long since accepted that I was a weird kid, but until then I'd been a weird kid with friends. My previous school was small and eccentric, the sort of place where, when I announced at age 11 that I was a Marxist, or recited a Langston Hughes poem with swelling emotion during lunch, (laughs) no one batted an eye. My new school was showily prosperous, a sea of Benetton rugby shirts and guest jeans, other emblems of 80s materialism. That was no country for unkempt 12-year-old girls who wrote poems about apartheid and counted Paul Robeson and Leon Trotsky foremost among her many anachronistic, long-dead boy crushes. Why I had transferred there when I could have spent another year at my old school, which went through eighth grade, was unclear to me. After the accident, I never went back, even though there were a few months left in the year. My mother told me that the principal called to say I was not welcome back. Moreover, I had to see a psychiatrist. The first conclusion I drew from this was that I'd been kicked out of eighth grade. The second was that I'd been kicked out of eighth grade because I was crazy. (laughs) My third and most dismal deduction was that I must have done something terrible and blacked it out. 
I so resented being forced into therapy at first, I barely uttered a word. I sat in his office with my arms folded, just like this, and he rolled with it. He'd talk and talk, and occasionally, in his impressive basso profundo, he'd sing. Showstoppers like The Impossible Dream from Man of La Mancha, or the soliloquy from Carousel. Or he'd just stare me down, waiting until I finally said something. And when the moment arrived, when I trusted and even liked him, I did not say something like, I set the scene shop on fire, or I buried the bodies behind the gym. What I said, even worse, was, I hate my mother. We never got to the bottom of what happened in eighth grade, but now the shrink and I had plenty to talk about. Soon we moved to the suburbs. I think Ma hoped it would make a normal kid of me. Instead, I became a stoner, a drinker, a minor delinquent. At 16, I dropped out. Eventually, I got a GED, went to college. Through it all, I remained troubled by my dismissal from eighth grade, haunted by what it was I couldn't remember doing. I was in college during the recovered memory craze. Several students went to the same therapist, a couple, a gloomy-visaged pair of Neorykians. Two of my friends were among their charges, and I watched as these funny, self-possessed young men receded into a gray, consuming melancholia, as though someone had dropped a shroud of sadness over them. One day, one of them pulled me into his room, crying. In therapy, I remembered things, he told me then recited a litany of horrors unmatched by anything I'd seen in a movie. Beatings, sexual abuse, satanic rituals. He spoke at length in sickening detail. I started crying too. And I started thinking that maybe, if I dared, this therapy would unlock the mystery I'd been holding inside since I was 12. Within days, I had steeled myself to make an appointment when the other friend who was their patient burst into our dorm, frantic. He told me what he remembered in his latest session. Detail for savage detail, his memories were exactly the same as my other friends. I didn't know what to say, but something shady was up with this whole recovered memory business. I stopped believing I'd done something rotten in eighth grade and locked it away. I stopped believing that that's how memory works. My assessment softened into an alternative narrative that was as romantic as it was unjust, that I got kicked out of eighth grade for the crime of not belonging, for disrupting an otherwise ordered world. I felt almost heroic. But one night, just a few years ago, as I stood washing dishes, a new story clicked into place. My mother had been chronically litigious and always short on money. And I suddenly surmised that after the accident, she threatened to sue. That she took me out of school that she couldn't afford anyway. That she put me into psychoanalysis, perhaps to establish emotional damage incurred by the fall. That I'd been pulled out of the school I liked because she'd fallen behind paying them. That I wound up at this school that was such a bad fit because it was the only one Ma was able to talk my way into and arrange payments she thought she could manage. She could be charming and persuasive, a talker with infinite chutzpah. 
In her way, she wanted the best for me, and that meant private school. In adulthood, my relationship with my mother had shifted. I saw what I had been unable to grasp as a child, that she was loving and generous in many ways, and very hurt and very troubled. With that awareness, I could no longer hate her. Instead, I felt sad. And now, when my yearning for the truth was reawakened, my mother was old and frail, beset by many physical and psychological difficulties in the midst of the long illness that preceded her death. The next time I visited her in the hospital, I said, I don't want to bug you about this or make a big deal, but I still wonder about what happened in eighth grade. Can I ask you just one question? Ma nodded her head slowly up and down. Was it about money? She nodded her head up and down again. Yes. One of her favorite movies was Gaslight, the classic 1944 George Cukor thriller in which a suave, diabolical husband played by Charles Boyer tries to convince his wife that she is going insane so he can have her institutionalized and then find the jewels hidden in their house unimpeded. It occurred to me that my mother had kind of gaslighted me for a very long time, had let me believe I was crazy, even if it wasn't true. Unhappy, sure, but not crazy. Still, under the circumstances, I believe she did her best. Recently, I called my former shrink, the one I'd so reluctantly started seeing so long ago. He still has his wonderful deep voice. We caught up for a few minutes. And even though he sounded like his old self, something was off. I asked him if he remembered what happened in eighth grade, what precipitated the beginning of my analysis with him. No, he said apologetically, I don't. And then, by way of explaining his lapse in customary sharpness, he disclosed that he'd had a stroke last year. I don't remember why you left that school. He paused. But I don't recall that they had anything against you. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that story by Rosie Schapp. The, um, the music is from... Simple Minds, from the Breakfast Club soundtrack. Duh. Um, thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>